Also, I want to let you know before we dive in that this is our last week in Luke um, for a little while. We're going to take a brief pause as we kind of go through Advent. Maybe a week or two after that, we're going to be looking at Isaiah uh, in Advent, which starts, if you can believe it, next Sunday. Uh, But then uh, come January, we will dive right back into the Gospel of Luke. But today we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And so I invite you to hear these words. Luke says this, once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore on the lake. The fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to burst. So they signaled their partners into the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astounded at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us Pray, God, we do pray that you would be with us this morning as we gather to hear from your word again in the gospel of Luke. Please open our eyes to what you would have us to see. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. And I pray now, Lord, that the words of, our, the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. All right, so our text begins today by the side of the Lake of Gennesaret, which is another word for the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and there's a large crowd that is around him. And it's just good to point out that the people didn't just gather only for the simple fact that Jesus was doing miracles, that there was also a real hunger and thirst uh, for the word of God to be proclaimed. And so there they are, and they're all kind of gathered around, and Jesus realizes that he needs perhaps a little bit more space so that he can uh, uh, teach a little bit more comfortably or so that more can hear. And so he, he goes over to the boat of Simon. And, and, and Simon, uh, we were introduced to last week. I will probably end up calling him Peter today, so just... Uh, be mindful of that. Um, and, and, and he was there last week. He was at Simon's house when he was doing healings and things like that. And, and, and there's a boat there that belongs to Simon. There's two boats. And, and so Jesus gets into the, into the boat of Simon. I kind of like the way this kind of turns out. You know, he just kind of says to, you know, all of a sudden he's just plopping down while Simon's trying to, you know, clean up all of his nets. And then he just says, you know what? Uh, why don't you just go ahead and push this out a little bit? And Simon's probably thinking, well, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. This wasn't exactly what I had expected 
expected, but whatever you want, Jesus. And so, so sure enough, they kind of, they push out. Um, and, and what that does is it builds this little kind of natural amphitheater, if you will. In the, in the Sea of Galilee, there's all these little inlets. And, and so the ground kind of comes up out of the, out of, off the shores and kind of goes up a little bit so that people can sit there. And, and when you're far back on waters, you probably know your voice is able to really be transmitted clearly. And so, so the voice is going out. There's this kind of natural amphitheater and he continues to teach and teach. And then finally his teaching ends. And we, we don't know exactly how long it was. I find it interesting. Other commentators do as well, probably preachers. We always want to know how long did he go, right? I'm guessing somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. But I oftentimes wonder, like, is there somebody there? And you know, there always is. And he's like looking at his sundial and he's like, come on, seriously? He's like, you know, the, the Gennesaret gophers are kicking off in 30 minutes. Let's go, let's go. And, uh, but most of them, I am quite certain, were really kind of all into this. And at the end of it, Jesus looks to Peter and he says to Peter, hey, why don't we go out to the deep and, and try to catch something out there? Now, I want us to just kind of really experience this and think about what you would be thinking and feeling if you were Peter at this moment. Right, Peter perhaps longingly looking at his nets that were not yet clean, that still needed to be mended. He knew he still had work to do, had work to do. Peter, who was exhausted right after having been out all night long, but not only exhausted, Peter was just incredibly disappointed as well, right? This wasn't just a couple of guys going out and fishing for a hobby and just saying, hey, this was fun. Oh, we caught nothing today, no big deal. This was their actual livelihood, Right? This is like being an attorney and having no clients, being a doctor and having no patients, being a teacher and having no students, being a salesperson and always getting no, being a preacher to no congregation whatsoever. This is what's happened. They, no fish, no food for his family. So you have all of this disappointment, all of this exhaustion. But on top of all of that, get this. You have Jesus, who is likely a carpenter, telling a fisherman where he should go fish. I was reminded of my golf game when I thought about this. I, you know, when I first got here, um, I had uh, several ZPCers who said, oh, good, the pastor's here. We have a fundraiser. Let's go, uh, let's ask him to come golf with us. And without fail, I would tell them, okay, but I'm not a very good golfer. And without fail, they would say, oh, it's no big deal. I'm sure you're fine. And without fail, about three holes in, they would look at me and say, wow, you really are not a good golfer. <laughs> and without fail, I say, I told you so. I literally hit the ball backwards at one of these things. I have no idea how I did it, right? And without fail, none of them have asked me again. <laughs> but... Imagine if I'm out there two or three holes with Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or whomever it may be. And I say to them, well, you know what? I think that your swing's a little wonky. That back leg, it needs to be a little different if you're really gonna do this. They tell you you're out of your mind. And so here's Peter who has been fishing his whole life. Certainly he learned it from his father. This is the way the trades kind of went down. He'd been doing this. He knew exactly what he's doing. And there's Jesus who works with wood saying, hey, I think you should just go a little bit further out. It would not have set well. And I think you kind of hear it. I mean, this is love. I love Peter. He's, he's always very honest, right? And so with a bit of kind of gritted teeth, really, what does he say? He says, master, he starts very respectfully. We have worked all night 
long, but have caught nothing. And I love this. It's almost like a teenager saying this. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. Sure enough, they go out into the deep and they let down their nets and what happens? All of a sudden, the fish are a plentiful. It's this remarkable miracle. There's more and more and you kind of get a sense they frantically call the other boat, their partners, come on out. And, and so all of a sudden, there's all these fish in those nets and so many fish, such an abundance that all of a sudden, the, 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 the boats begin to sink. This is how many fish that they have. It's overwhelming, really. And so all of a sudden, through all of that, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, wow, you are amazing. How did you do this? No. What he says is this. Get away from me. I am a sinner. Now, this is a really strange response, it seems to me. It's kind of a, a non sequitur. It just doesn't make sense. And here's one of the things that we should know, and you guys know this, but whenever you're reading the Bible, and if there's something that just all of a sudden seems like it doesn't make sense, you should always pause. And there's lots of those in Scripture, especially with Jesus. He often does not respond. Those around him do not respond as we might think. Why does Peter respond like this? Tim Keller uh, makes an interesting point. He says, well, you know, what's, what's interesting is in our common kind of modern era, when it comes to Christians, uh, uh, we oftentimes think that being near to God is always a very pleasant experience. In fact, he says, if you go and you look at cards that talk about being near to God, they're almost always in pastels. And with a nice little sunset or a beach scene in the background, oh, it's just being near to God, near to thee. And while certainly there are times when being near to God are very wonderful experiences, what Keller suggests is, well, when you, know, when you are dealing with a holy God, what happens is all of a sudden the light shines in you and you begin to see those parts of you that are not nearly as holy. And all of a sudden you begin to be challenged in some way. Those darker parts in you begin to be challenged so that whenever you're with there, there should almost always, inevitably, when you are with God, there are oftentimes these transformative moments when you realize that you need to be changed or shaped differently because of the holiness of the Almighty. It's why Keller says, if your only experience, if you say, well, I always just feel nearest to God whenever I'm out in creation, he says, actually, there's some problems there. I mean, it's good to feel near to God when you're creation. I mean, I think all of us probably have that in a sense, but if that's your only understanding of God, here's the problem. That God will never challenge you. The God of nature who's just out there in the beauty and the lakes and the mountains will never say, have you kind of been more introspective? What about those places of sin or brokenness in your life? So that inevitably what happens is that more and more, God becomes shaped like you rather than you becoming shaped more and more like a holy God. And so Simon, Peter here, he, he has this kind of moment of saying, get away. And all of a sudden, what does God say? God says, don't fear. Jesus says, do not fear. For I will make you fishers of men. Don't be afraid. You're going to start catching people left and right, just like all these fish that we have been catching. And, and again, it's not an explicit word of forgiveness, but it seems like this word of do not fear is oftentimes words of forgiving grace and, and, and the sense of you have a future. Here is your new future is this sense that now we're going to go on a different journey, Simon. So they come in. 
They get out of their boats. It seems they leave their nets. They leave this abundance of fish and they begin to follow Jesus. Now this story, as you can hear, has a lot of different sermons that one could preach. Uh, you could preach about the fact that there was Simon and, and, and his friends and their partners and, and they're right there. They're not in a synagogue. They're not in a place of worship. They're this working and Jesus shows up right there in the midst of their mundane and ordinary world. That, that as we say, you know what? Your faith in Jesus is not just about what happens here at 4775 West 116th Street. It should be about what happens whenever, wherever you work or live or play. This is where Jesus is. Jesus is in all those places. He is in the boat next to you. The question is, do we see him? We could also, of course, preach a great sermon about how Peter was able to trust Jesus, even though he didn't completely understand him, even though he didn't really know exactly what the future was going to hold, that he still trusted anyways, even if it was through gritted teeth at times. And he still then kind of went off into the deep, even though he didn't know for sure. In fact, he probably thought for certain they would catch nothing. He still followed Jesus anyway. We could have a conversation about the holiness of God and our own need for that and to be transformed by that. We already mentioned that. And of course, we could talk about what does it mean to give up everything in order to follow Jesus? And are we willing to do so? All of these would be great sermons in and of themselves. But the more I thought about the sermon this week and the more I thought about the scripture, and I think it's because of the fact that we've been going through Luke and looking at this longer arc of how Luke is describing this story that I began to get less intrigued by each of those little details and more of just this whole story altogether about this relationship between Jesus and Simon. This, of course, is the very beginning of when Jesus, in, in Luke at least, begins to kind of call his disciples. And so it would be easy to think, okay, he's calling his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? What do you do when you are a disciple? And again, we could get into all those things of what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus. But then in the midst of that, I, I was reminded, I came across this a quote by Alasdair McIntyre. It's a great quote. He says this, I cannot answer the question, what ought I to do unless I first answer the question of which story am I a part? Let me read it again. I cannot adequately answer that question. What ought I to do? What should I do unless I first answer the primary question of which story am I a part? There's another way I think kind of to, to, to say this. Uh, I, I've given this line before. It's by a Frenchman um, um, whose name I can really not even uh, say. So you guys can just say it in your own head. Here's what he says. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work. Don't start, in other words, with this is what you do, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You see, this is another way of saying before you tell them this is, okay, here are all the little tasks. No, no, no. Before that, begin to teach them the story of the immensity of the sea. Begin to capture their imaginations about what can be. If that's not helpful, here's one more thing. James K.A. Smith, when he's talking about this, he, he, he has this, this painting that he, he's reminded of Sir Walter Riley, who was a, kind of an intrepid explorer. 
And there was a painter who kind of imagines what would it have been like, what cultivated Sir Walter Riley to be able to go and do all of these, uh, or Raleigh, to be able to go off and do all of these um, um, expeditions. And so he has this painting and there's uh, uh, Sir Walter is kind of down there on the left-hand side. He's one of the kids. And you have this kind of, this grizzled veteran, if you will. And what's he doing? He's pointing out to the immensity of the sea. He's pointing out to the deep. He's beginning to cultivate his imagination to say, look, this is what you will find out in the deep and out beyond. He begins to shape and say, this is the kind of story of which you can be a part. And when I began to think about Jesus and Peter, I began to think about this particular painting. And I, and I just picture, you know, Jesus just there and he's pointing out, maybe he doesn't have this massive mustache that this man seems to have, which is really impressive if you see it there. But perhaps he's just looking out and he's saying, this, go, see, because this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to imagine. That Jesus is there and he's been teaching and perhaps he's been teaching about the coming kingdom of God. We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us. But what we know for sure is this, that Jesus wanted to show Simon something. And so he said, go out to the deep. And what happened? They went out to the deep and there was a miracle. And what did we say last week? What is a miracle? A miracle is the glimpse of the coming kingdom. A miracle is saying, this is the way things are going to be. If you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like and feels like, a miracle will help you to be able to see that. And so he goes out and all of a sudden what happens? All of a sudden there are all of these fish. What is the kingdom of God like? This is what he begins to show Peter. He says the kingdom of God is like a net full of fish. It is like a surprise because God is always working surprising ways. It is an abundance. It is a generosity. It is a hospitality. And he says it's so much that you can't even hold it all. This is the kingdom of God. The grace is so overpowering that you cannot manage this God. This is what the coming kingdom of God looks like. And he begins to show them this story. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, I am showing you the story of the kingdom of God. Can you feel it, Simon? And remember, Simon had seen these miracles likely, right? It, it, it happened at his house. But sometimes you have to experience the kingdom of God for yourself. And so there he is, and he's painting this incredible picture. And so, yes, after looking and experience the story of the kingdom of God and what could be, what does Simon say? Simon says, get away. That story is too counter to the story that I live. I cannot live with that. I cannot live that kind of story, he says. It's so different. And why does he say it? Because he knows himself. I am a sinner. You don't know my own story, God, Simon's saying. I have my own story and it is not a nice story. And here's my own struggles and here's my own selfishness and here's my own downfalls and here's how I'm not abundant or generous and, and here's how I manage God rather than allowing God to be God. Here's all these things to which Jesus says, don't be afraid of this story. Story. I'm going to bring you into the story of the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid of it. I am going to bring you in. And here's the thing, he says, not only are you a part of this story, you are a participant in the story. You are going to begin to catching people like we have been catching these fish. And he begins to paint this vivid picture of what he can do and what he can be a part of. And so what happens then? 
This is why I think it makes sense. Luke is so flippant, right? Well, they just brought in their uh, boats and then they just left everything. And it seems like, how do they do that? And for people like us, especially I'll suggest someone like me, whose questions are oftentimes, what's the least I can give and not feel guilty? What's the least I can give and still feel like I'm a part of this kingdom of God? Right, it's almost like this image of I wanna keep one foot on shore and one foot on the boat that's taking me out to the deep with the kingdom of God. And I wanna hold on to both of these stories. So how much, what, what can I give? And then we can just stop the boat and I can just sit here in both worlds. But that didn't happen because what happened? All of a sudden he knew. All of a sudden Peter and them, they, they knew they were a part of a different story. It was just wholly different. And so they just dove in. Now. Does that mean that Simon Peter was always in this wonderful story of the deep? No, if you know the story of Simon Peter, you know he was always messing up. There are always sirens that are on land singing and saying, here's why you matter. No, no, this is your story, Simon. This is why you are important. It's all these other things, not this kingdom of God, which is why Simon would literally sink at one point in the water. He says, no, 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 this, this is the kingdom of God. And, the, and to Simon's credit, he would get up every time and Jesus would keep inviting him and he'd get back in the boat and he'd keep pushing off into the deep. What I want to suggest to us this morning is this fact that before again, as McIntyre says, before we could say, what should I do? We need to ask the question of what story am I a part? Do you genuinely believe that you are a part of the story of the kingdom of God? You see, this is a very big doing day here at ZPC. Um, we have um, 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 your commitment card. Uh, these are all doing things. How much am I going to give? How much am I going to uh, a talents? How many of my talents will I share? How much time will I give? Those are doing questions. We have questions for the new members, four questions, and they're about like, sharing and, and, and praying and, and learning, all those things, which of course are all good and important. But what I want to suggest is this, if that's where you start, then you will constantly find yourself straddling between these two stories, between the shore and the beach and the land and the kingdom of God. And that begins to hurt when you keep straddling again and again and again. So the question is, of what story are we, of what story are you a part? As I was thinking about that, I realized that of course the church, when it is healthy, a church is always a reflection of the story of the kingdom of God. And it made me begin to realize that one of the things I wanted to do this morning is just briefly to remind you of the story of this body. I think it's important from time to time for us just to go back and to be reminded of the story of the kingdom of God and the way in which ZPC has reflected that. It hasn't done it perfectly, you know this. But it is a remarkable story that tells us something about the kingdom of God, right? So four decades ago, next year, we, we celebrate our, our 40th year. And so we remember that over 40 years ago, what was happening? People like, uh, people like Wanda Baker and Pete Hudson, remember what they were doing? They were going around and knocking on doors in our area, right? This is when Zionsville and Carmel looked very different 40 years ago. And they were simply knocking on doors and saying, hey, um, do you have a church? 
And if not, you know, would you like to come and be a part of this church plant? Now, why did they do that? Because the kingdom of God, what does that tell us about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is always ascending kingdom. It is always being sent out. We are reflecting the story of the kingdom of God. We are living in that and not living on shore when we have the sense of always being sent out. And then where were they meeting in the beginning? In the middle school, right? And why were they meeting? You know, they're meeting in this middle school where every day you go, every Sunday you have to go and, and, and you have to you know, get everything ready and then you got to tear everything down, right? I mean, it's both a joy uh, because you, everyone's doing this together and it's kind of a nightmare, right? Because everyone has to keep doing this every week. And why could they meet in a school? I'll tell you why. Because the kingdom of God, as we just said a little bit ago, is not just something that happens in a sanctuary. It happens wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play or wherever you go to school. It can break out anywhere the kingdom of God can. And so it began to break out where? Right there at, at Zionsville Middle School, right? And then it kind of continued, right? And it began to slowly but surely grow. And so then uh, you had uh, some people who said, you know what? We see this plot of land right here. We think this would be a great plot of land to buy. And as I've said before, remember, right? This was being, you know, this was uh, just horses and chariots that were going along Michigan Road back then, right? And so, which is why, right? The realtor said, you are foolish. This is a stupid purchase. It's way overpriced. But you know what? The kingdom of God does dumb things sometimes. The kingdom of God does surprising things sometimes. The kingdom of God is not afraid to take risks at times that other people may say that was senseless. It's not so senseless now. And then it continued to grow in the word of God. People wanted to hear the word of God. Why? Because people need to be reminded of the story that they are a part. And so you had people like Glenn McDonald and other preachers who were preaching the word of God and people began to come. They wanted to hear this. They were thirsting to go into the deep. They were thirsting to be able to grow more into the kingdom of God. And then you had a cra couple of crazy Kentucky folk named Randy and Betty Sue LaFoon. And they said, you know what? We have this thing called Great Banquet. And we think people should experience that. And so people came and there was this sense of grace that people experienced in this, right? And it began to transform ZPC. Why? Because the kingdom of God is full of grace. And then you had a people who said, you know what? We want to be generous. And so we do, we have. And now we continue to give 22.1% away of everything that we have, right? We're generous, but I want to be clear. We're not just generous in the money that we give. We are generous in this building. Whenever we had to shut down for two or three days, because of the gas leak, it wasn't just like, okay, what are we going to do about Sunday worship? We had to call and reach out to all these other folks because this building is constantly being used. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is full of generosity and abundance because we realize that this is not ours. It's a kingdom of God, right? So we have this CPC. What else are they passionate about? Oh, they're all giving always to Uganda or, or to, um, to the Ukraine. Over $100,000 as a church and as individuals we've given to Ukraine in the last year, uh, continuing to give to places like Brazil or Egypt. I mean, again and again, why? Because the kingdom of God has no bounds. When you begin to look out, you begin to look out off into the distance and the kingdom of God is everywhere. But it hasn't always been easy for ZPC either. And there are parts of the story that we don't really like very much. We don't like to talk about very much. And I get it. It's easier for me to talk about because I didn't live through it. Right? Times where there's been brokenness and pain. But see, here's the thing about it. In the midst of that, 
In the midst of that, next to the holiness of God, one of the things that you begin to see is that the kingdom of God always offers hope, even in the midst of struggle. Right, and one of those was an interim pastor named Jim Caps who would come, and many of you have said to me over the years what Pastor Jim would say, and this is why I know it's important. He would look out to the congregation and he would say, "You are a great congregation," and many of you didn't believe him. Been too much struggle, and yet he kept saying it until finally you began to believe that maybe God is not yet done with us. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, God is never done. And then we came and we said, okay, let's do some home groups. Let's do this. Let's, let's try to get more people, cultivate relationships. Why? Because as we said so many times, the kingdom of God is incredibly relational. It is always relational. And then you had a pandemic. Anyone remember that? And there were decisions that were made and sometimes people liked them and a lot of times people didn't like them and we had to go back and forth. But I want you to hear, especially when I compare it to other congregations that I know that ZPC did a remarkable job of staying united. And do you know why we can stay united? Because what we know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I need you to hear me, is that the kingdom of God is centered on Christ and Christ alone. The kingdom of God is not centered on masks or not having masks, on vaccines or not having vaccines. It is not centered on who gets elected. It is certainly not centered on who is your senior pastor at the time. The kingdom of God is always centered on Jesus Christ. God, over the last four decades, has kept loving and caring and forgiving and reconciling and pruning and growing and loving and forgiving and reconciling. And we who have been a part of this, whether or not it's been for the last 40 years and we still have a few of those, or whether or not today is your first day to become a member. What you need to know is that we are being the church God calls us to be when we are reflecting the abundant kingdom of God. And what I want you to know is that God is continuing to work through here and that Jesus is continuing to point out. And in those moments when we might prefer to stay in the safety of land where we can control and manage everything, that God keeps saying, no, 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 no. My kingdom knows no bounds. Keep going into the deeps. And my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take those sails and would continue to blow through this congregation that all of this community that all of this world would know the story that they can be a part of the story of the beauty and the abundance and the love and the forgiveness and the peace of the kingdom of God and in so doing as we learn that story then might we know what we are called to do. But for the glory of Jesus Christ, who keeps pointing us to the way of the depths of his love. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are doers. 
For so many of us, this is how you have created us. You've created us to do and we do things well. And so today, Lord, I'm asking that before we do anything, that you will allow us to simply know who we are and what story we are a part of. That we would know, God, that we are a part of your story. The story of God's incredible kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have worked in this body, through this body, over the years. And while we are imperfect, and there are times when we perhaps hear those sirens back on land and want to come back, that you keep forgiving and inviting us back out into the depths. May each of us here know that we are invited into your story. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.